We talk a lot these days about prevention being the best cure. Actually, that's a very old saying. We just, I seem to hear about it a lot these days. Uh, but a holistic approach to health is a popular topic, we well know. And the most obvious way to perhaps help achieve that is by watching what you eat. You are what you eat, another old saying. A new study, though, shows that healthy eating can add years to your life, as many as 13, according to this study. And while the younger you are, the more you benefit, just like investing, it is never too late to start. Joining me now is sports and family dietitian Emily Mardell. Thanks so much for being here on a Friday night. It's great to be here. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. I've been thinking about this a lot today because there's so much to talk about. When these studies come out, they always seem to sort of state the obvious. You know, um, if you replace a typical diet of red meat and processed foods with more good stuff, then you'll live longer. But this is something that uh, that I guess people need telling now and then. I think it's always nice to kind of get a reminder. I'm, I mean, we want to be cautious with you know, one study, particularly when it is kind of based on, you know, reported data and, you know, um, kind of questionnaires and things of that nature. But when it comes to um, a diet that really, or, a, you know, a, a screen that really looks at uh, life expectancy, there's a lot of research very similar that supports, you know, when we have a diet that's more rooted in that kind of plant-based or plant-forward um, approach to eating, whether that's through, you know, legumes or whole grains, nuts, seeds, um, less processed foods, like you mentioned, uh, these are things that are uh, a great predictor of longevity. Um, what are some of the ways, I mean, I, I know it's sometimes difficult for people to change their eating habits. Um, you're used to eating a certain way. You're used to having certain things on your plate every night. Um, if, if you sort of are the standard, you know, meat, vegetable and starch person, what do you find the best way to try to break that habit is, or at least to try put more of the good stuff in and maybe take a little bit of the bad stuff? Well, I think if we, um, I think that what you kind of mentioned actually kind of um, suggests some balance, you know, and mm -hmm. balanced meals are one of the things that really perpetuates health because the more balance, the more variety, the more seasonality we can have kind of in our meals. So I like the idea of having a protein, a, you know, a starch or a grain and, you know, at least half the plate with some vegetables and fruits and things that are seasonal and accessible. But at the end of the day, when we look at behavior change, it is difficult. Um, we are not like, um, you know, the car in my driveway, right? Where you, when you're empty, you just fill up and, you know, kind of repeat the process. Food is a, a complex relationship and one that is rooted in, um, you know, a, a lot more than just, you know, calories in, calories out and, and being good regulators. So I think when we look primarily at behavior change, I think a good place to start is, um, just recognizing that there is not one path to healthy eating. There's not one way. Um, I think, you know, when diet culture and fad diets and other things kind of tend to swallow us whole a little bit, we, we actually miss, um, miss an opportunity to, to, to craft and to kind of create an eating pattern that is personal and sustainable to us. So um, in my practice and in, uh, in my experience, uh, people that kind of do the work and, and take the time in making small steps towards changes that are most sustainable to them is ultimately where they see the best um, health and nutrition outcomes. Yeah, I mean, because you know, ever since I was, I, was, I remember, I think the first time I heard the word diet, my grandmother mentioned it. And I think it was, I, you mm -hmm. know, it was one of those very old, this goes back a, a long time. I'm 50, 51. Um, but thinking about just how that's, that has never gone, it just, they just changed names, it seems. So what are some of the ones you're seeing these days? And, and, and um, you know, do they, I guess the obvious question is, do they work in what measure? Mm -hmm. So uh, a diet in the sense of you're, you're meaning kind of in terms of um, what people are kind of 
leaning towards in terms of eating or what's kind of on trend? Just, Is that kind of what you're, you're just meaning? exactly sort of whatever the, you know, the, what I, I'm thinking back to like, uh, you know, I'm, the Scarsdale diet was one I remember from when I was a kid. And that goes <laughs> yeah, back yeah. a very, very long time. Uh, yeah, yeah. I can hear the eighties music in my ears. Uh, but yeah. you know, sort of, there's always, I guess keto is a new one. That's a big one. Um, yeah. Intermittent fasting is pretty hot right now too, as well. Right. And I think, you know, um, and you know, high protein is, is here to, here to stay in some regard as well. Um, and I think more than anything, it goes back to when we look at meta-analysis of a lot of these um, different quote unquote diets that are often uh, rooted in weight loss as their primary outcome. They're not really looking at health outcomes. I think that's something that's really important. A lot of, uh, you know, studies kind of around the ketogenic diet are not necessarily, uh, you know, evaluating cardiovascular health beyond 12 months, you know, when you're eating 80% fat. So that's kind of one of the things that's important to note. Um, but when we compare them, honestly, uh, what people uh, stick to and what they can be consistent with, uh, at the end of the day, um, we see very similar patterns of weight loss. Um, some might be faster than others, some might be more sustainable. But from a like a longevity standpoint, and it really kind of is rooted in the study that we uh, kind of led with, mm. truly that Mediterranean pattern of eating really is one of, you know, the top two diets where we see, you know, healthier weights, healthier lifestyles, um, healthier relationships with food and body and community. So it really is the one that, um, you know, as a dietitian in my practice, I really do try to um, help people integrate towards a Mediterranean diet where it is uh, most applicable and to kind of make it make sense for where they are. Uh, unfortunately, we're not in Sardinia. <laughs> we're not in Sicily, yeah, you know, gonna, we're not in, say. I know, you know, Ben, it's so bad, but we're not in the Mediterranean, which would be amazing. No. Um, but that's the thing, you know, um, it may not be olive oil that's at our, you know, disposal in terms of, um, you know, cost effectiveness or availability, it might be canola oil, it might not be an abundance of fresh fish, it might be more plant based, you know, legumes that are prairie grown or what have you, you're closer to the coast. So I'm in landlocked Alberta, so I don't get a, right. a ton of fresh fish, right. So you can kind of see how we can be um, kind of close, but kind of far apart and still eating Mediterranean, but eating a little bit differently. So uh, we have to be adaptable and kind of uh, eat where we are. I remember back when thinking, you know, anyone who espouses the Mediterranean diet whole hog has never had a toma tomato at Edmonton in February. But uh, <laughs> although tomato tomatoes are much better now, I find they, they're not as nearly as styrofoamy as they were back when they seem to be uh, be tastier. What is sort of a good way to start? Because that's always a good question. Mediterranean diet, if, if you're in, you know, Sicily or you know, the Greek mm -hmm. islands is great. It's fantastic. It's a little bit tougher here. How do you recommend people sort of transition into it quietly if they don't practice much of it now? Well, I think there's a couple ways to kind of look at it. Because when you think about the Mediterranean diet, it is more of a lifestyle, right? So it, um, much like when we evaluate blue zones of the world, in terms of um, areas of the world that have, you know, people who live the longest and have that, you know, the healthiest kind of uh, life, it goes beyond what is on the plate. You know, we're looking at kind of like, um, everything from a circle of friends to, you know, their purpose-driven life to, um, you know, movement and, and how cities are kind of built around people versus, you know, cars and transit and other things. There's uh, daily rituals to mitigate stress. There's a lot of things that really impact longevity and health. But from a, like a dietary standpoint, um, yes, 
uh, as my, even the name dietitian is kind of irritating even to me as a dietitian, okay. <laughs> um, because I don't like the word. But when you think about what it is you're eating and going Mediterranean, it is very much finding ways as to how you can incorporate more plants into your diet. So whether that is through whole grains, nuts, seeds, beans, peas, lentils, chickpeas, that sort of thing, and you know, whatever greenhouse veggies or seasonal veggies are at your disposal. Um, those would be the things that would be most Mediterranean in terms of the what. Now, sometimes the thing that I, the thing that I'm most passionate about actually centers more around the how of eating, right? So it's being connected to the food on your plate. It's uh, understanding where it's it's come from, it's being able to prepare food, just having the base of food skills, right, to be able mm -hmm. to, you know, take a raw ingredients and, and kind of transform it into something, um, you know, delicious, you know, if that's a, yeah. that's a skill and something that is really a part of uh, nutritional health. Um, being attuned to your hunger and fullness, like just knowing when to stop, you know, or knowing when to start. Um, those are things that I think are, are really important. It's, it's thinking about the what, and then again, the how. I guess, I mean, learning to cook, right? Learning to cook. I know it's mm, tough, but but so learning huge. to cook is probably the best way to find your, because it, you're right. Some of the stuff like legumes, some legumes, lentils, for instance, uh, mm -hmm. I think I've had a bag of lentils in my, in my, uh, in my <laughs> cupboard for years, you know, um, because you don't know what and to everyone do. Everyone I mean, bought them really, at the start of the pandemic too, right? Because they're that's one true. of the most shelf stable. Suddenly we realized how awesome flour was again and how amazing and shelf stable you know, all our dried pulses were so we stockpiled. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my, my wife just texted me to say that I should be, does that mean I'm throwing out the cookies in the, in the cupboard? And the answer, the answer <laughs> to that, funny. the answer to that is, is no. Um, we're going to take funny. a quick break. When we come back, I just had some questions about you uh, for you, because we were talking about what we should ask you tonight. And a lot of questions came up about, about sort of COVID and, and being at home and changing your meal habits and eating mm. a lot, being around the fridge all the time, not having that same sort of set schedule that a lot of us had prior to that. And mm -hmm. uh, we'll get back with more. What should I call you other than dietitian? That's a good question. Um, I, I, I don't know, but my uh, my blog is Get Joyful. So I'm like a food joyist if there's such a thing. I a really believe joyist. that. I like that. If, you know, when you, when you keep the joy in food, uh, nutrition follows. So that's kind right. of my my mantra. I will be back with Food Joyist, Emily Mardell, right after the break. I'm back with Food Joyist, Joyous. I'm not going to say that right, Emily. I'm sorry. Emily Mardell, sports and family dietitian is how we originally introduced you, but I like Food Joyist. That's a good, a good term. Oh, thanks. Uh, we, we've been talking about um, a study that came out that showed that eating a more Mediterranean-style diet would, would put years on your life. Um, just one study. There are many out there that say similar stuff. Um, I wanted to ask a bit about COVID because I think a lot of us have you know, I think in, myself included, a lot of us put on some weight at the beginning of COVID because we were kind of trapped inside and all our routines, our walking, uh, our our meal habits had all changed. Um, now that we're sort of coming out the other side of this, at least we hope, um, what are some of the things you recommend for people to be able to sort of get back on track from from maybe some bad habits developed over the past few years? Yeah, well, I think, you know, one of the things that um, I've been reflecting on just over the past little while, too, like, uh, I could definitely empathize, like being at home, I have three small children, uh, two, five and nine. So um, my biggest thing was having them all here and them literally hungry all the time. So an example of what we went through is literally... I was making like 20 something snacks a day or they were eating, you know, it was just a constant wow. thing. So we actually had yeah. to like, kind of like enact like a family snack plan. And every week we would kind of sit down and 
you know, plan some snacks for the week and, and get a bit of a system going. It um, stopped me from having to be the food police and in the kitchen all the time. And it actually kind of um, sent some predictability and, and routine for them. So I think things don't have to be these major shifts, right? We can kind of we have these spidey senses, you know, around like what is kind of creating some some issues or disconnect with our food or um, where we feel we're, we're lacking success. Some of it um, can be, um, like I said, you know, managing kids snacks and, and having to keep your sanity and your uh, food costs in order. Um, it could also be um, I just got my kids to bed, right? And it's the end of a busy week and I just want to sit on my couch. And, you know, when I when I do that, those kind of environmental cues around, you know, what's what's for snack time for me right now? You know, how am I going yeah. to decompress? And frankly, talking to you is is doing that for me. It is giving me that kind of joy, that kind of outlet. It's giving me that kind of decompression. And I think finding ways kind of beyond food, I, I think when we were stressed so much in, the pandemic and ongoing still, um, we recognize how comforting food can be, right? And how without, you know, coping mechanisms and other things in our wheelhouse to kind of deal with these stresses, uh, when we rely solely on food, or we don't have um, certain food systems or skills in place or uh, approaches to eating in place, things can go downhill fast in, in the sense of us just kind of feeling like food is more in control of us than we are in control of it. So I think one of the best ways to kind of get on track with things is just thinking about something that you can do that you can attach to a cue um, or something that you're already doing um, and, and build from there. So um, a simple example, like I never forget to brush my teeth before I go to bed. So I keep my chewable multivitamins up there in my toothbrush drawer. I never forget right. to take my vitamins because I've connected it to that. Um, I have a few clients this week that are, um, for the first time in a long time, commuting and driving to work, right? right? So they've started a little bit of a make-ahead breakfast routine where, you know, we have a little bit of a plan for them to do some smoothies, some overnight oats, different things like that. And their commute is now turned into, you know, a healthy breakfast opportunity, right? Whereas they have to drive, they have to be there. So let's be prepared for it and use it. So. I would look at what's shifting, what's changing, or what's staying the same, what is consistent in your day right now, and what you can attach to it so that you can make a healthy ha habit or a healthy behavior something that you can do, you know, five days a week or more. Because there's certainly been some healthy habits picked up during the pandemic. I know that people tend to eat better in the morning, for instance, because you're not rushing out the door as one used to, uh, you know, grabbing whatever you could or not grabbing anything at all. I've noticed people eating better breakfast, for instance, and maybe that's something we try, as you mentioned, something we try to hang on to. Yeah, I think that is a really good point. It's it's about kind of reflecting on, we all kind of dropped the ball, like dropped a few balls and picked a few up, you know, and I think you have to kind of look broadly over things because um, you have to celebrate the small wins in order to keep uh, motivated with any kind of health change. You know, I think we can be very hypercritical or very focused on, you know, one outcome measure, whether it is weight or whatever it might be. But looking at um, a cascade of behaviors and looking at really, how can I be healthier? How can I 
have more healthy behaviors in my day to day is really um, the the best lens and the best approach to take first. So uh, I'm a I'm a breakfast fan partially partially because I'm like I'm like angry in the morning. So <laughs> I'm like no one has to convince me to eat breakfast. But um, I meet a lot of people that just simply are not. And and kind of like you said at the beginning, it has a lot to do with how you were. Um, raised or you know what I mean like kind of some of the role modeling and things like that so um, you know it just kind of depends but you can always learn new habits you can always coach yourself into um, you know an eating pattern that helps you better meet your needs for sure I'm a firm believer in that food joyist Emily Mardell thanks so much for being with us glad we could provide some therapy to you too so you weren't reaching for the cookies or whatever it is you reach for in the evening for me it's cookies I don't know why it's co- it's cookies it's been a long it's a childhood I, thing. I, li- I write a lot of uh, prescriptions for uh, chocolate bars and cookies because I think uh, <laughs> challenging the food police is, is one of the best things we can do because when we can eat something and kind of move on that sets us up for the success the next day. So I, um, I wouldn't throw out your cookies just yet. I think you can manage them just, just right. I'm glad to hear it. Emily Mardell, have a great weekend. Thank you. <laughs> Take care. Bye.